0: So uh, I want you to open up in your, in your Bibles in the book of James. So James is busy dealing with us about spiritual maturity. Something that I believe every Christian should know and should hear and should go through. So last week he, he started telling us that troubles happens to everybody. Tests come to everybody. There's four things that happens with Tests. It happens. It's just life. You will have sufferings in life. Who knows that? It's not as if you're going to be born and go through life and there's no tests, no sufferings. It happens to Christians and non-Christians. But there's also, he said to us, that there's tests that we bring upon ourselves. Sufferings that we bring upon ourselves. But then there's also the test that God allows, allows in our lives so that our character may be built. And that's also important. We need to identify which one of these tests come our way. And then finally, we ended last week, and we saw how James was telling us that there are some strugglings that happen in people's lives for the glory of God. That poor blind man sitting there, and they ask, who sinned, him or his parents? Whom or his parents sinned? And Jesus said that it was for the glory of God. So James takes us on this pathway of spiritual maturity. And in the next few weeks, and last week we started finishing this sentence, a mature Christian is a doer of the word. A doer of the word. That's what it is all about today. The question is at this start is, are you a doer of the word? If you're not a doer, you are a listener. We find so many people who are listeners, but not doers of the word. And We find our text this morning in 1 James chapter 1, or James chapter 1 verse 22, where he says, He says, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Right from that verse, James let us know that if you are a hearer only, you are only deceiving yourself. But you need to apply what you hear to your Christian walk. It's so critically important for us to understand that. I find so many people sitting in churches, but they are still immature. Because they wouldn't apply what they've heard, what they've read. The words of Jesus Christ, and this is what it's all about. And again, I'm going to repeat what I say. The book of James is in your face. The book of James is going to challenge you. I'm going to say things and preach things out of the word, out of the book of James, and you're going to get mad. And I'm glad if you get mad. Because that tells me that you are convicted by the word. The problem here is, is what are you going to do when you get upset about what you hear? And my answer to that is become a doer of the word instead of a hearer and a sayer. You get too many of those people. How many ears have you got? Two ears. How many mouths? One. So maybe you should listen twice before you talk. Isn't that good advice that the old people always gave us when we were young? But we wouldn't listen to them. Oh, mom. Oh, dad. Oh, old man. Oh, old woman. What do you know? Well, maybe they know something maybe God made us with two ears. It would have been strange if you were sitting here with just with one ear and two mouths. How would you handle that? You will confuse yourself. You will interrupt yourself. Isn't that true? How many times have you come to people and they talk and they don't listen to what you say, they're only forming their minds what they're going to say. You can pick it up straight away. The world needs more listeners. The world need more doers, not more sayers. So this is what it's all about in the study or in the preaching today. Now let's look at this now. I I want to go back before we get on with this. I want to touch on something that James, I was just going over it last week too fast. In James chapter 1 verse 13, as you follow in your Bible, he says, Let not one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God, For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. So this goes about the people who say that God tempted me. God don't tempt you with evil. God is not a tempter. The opposite of God, or the instead of God, the Antichrist, the devil, He's a tempter. God is not a tempter. God gives you commandments and directions, and you have to follow them. The other one tempts you into a direction you don't want to go. But each one is tempted, listen to this, each one. It talks about every single person who sits in this building. Every single, even the preacher. Each one of us. It's not the person next to you, in front of you, behind you, below you, on top of you. No, no, no. This is every single person, he says, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed, Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So, the first part of this chapter, he was talking about external things that influences you, trials and tribulations you're going through. Now, the second part of this chapter, he's going inward. He's going into your innermost being, and now he's talking about things that lies on the inside that you and I don't necessarily see when we look at people. It is temptations that happens in here, that happens in here. And he's very clear about this. He addresses it perfectly for us. Now we hear this now. And you need to listen very carefully today when I say it to you, as he says it to you. He says that each one of us are tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. The Greek word for desires there is epithumia, which means it's a longing for what is forbidden. Another word for it is lust. The definition for lust is to satisfy self at the expense of others. This one goes a little bit deeper though. Because this is a longing for what is forbidden. Friends, we are living in a world today where people are longing for things which are forbidden. This is what we got with this vote going on now. This is what we got with young people. The message from the TV screens these days is for people to conduct themselves in things which is forbidden. And God has put in spiritual laws, moral laws and physical laws which will punish that. It is longing for things which you and I know you shouldn't do. Then He says and enticed, enticed here comes from the Greek word which means entrapped, entrapped, it traps you. So it starts on the inside, it is a desire, it's a longing for something and then it traps you. In 2001 in India there was, in one certain part of India, a problem with monkeys. And these monkeys were just too many. And they would come into the village and they would bite people. And they would take their food. And, and they wanted to get rid of the monkeys, but they wanted to remove them and put them into another place. And how do you catch these monkeys? I don't know if you've seen them. I've been to Bali. They are really quickly all over the place. How do you catch them? You can't throw nets over them. You don't want to hurt them. I know somebody say you will shoot them, but in India they don't. <laughs> So how do you catch them? And they came out with this brilliant plan. They took their milk bottles and they took the tops off and they put lollies on the inside. And they secured these bottles. And you know what the monkeys would do? They lusted after these lollies. You see, it is so true. They lusted after these lollies. And they would go in and put their hands in to try to grab the lolly. And as soon as they grabbed the lolly, what do they do? They hold the lolly, and then their fist will be too big to pull out. And they would struggle and try to pull it out, but they will sit there. Why? Because they are entrapped. And even when their captors comes closer, do you think the monkey will think to let go? No. Friends, why is it so then that people today, you and I, are like monkeys? No way. We shouldn't be. But even that little story is so true to what James tells us this morning. Each one, listen, don't point finger at me or you. I'm not pointing finger. This is my preaching style if you haven't noticed me. But listen to me very carefully. He says, each one of us is like monkeys. No, that's just me saying it. The Bible says, no, no. He says, each one of us are enticed and then we are entrapped. We are like that monkey who's holding on to that little thing. Entrapped by his own desire. Then, verse 15, he says, when desire has conceived, you see that word they conceived? That word there conceived is a reproduction term. Conceivement means it takes two to come together to conceive. Is that right? And now, in this particular passage here, it takes temptation which sits on the inside of man and woman, and it takes the desires of the world on the inside. And what happens? When those two things come together, what happens? If there's a conceivement, what comes after conceivement? Birth. It's a reproductive term he's going in here. He says if you're going to do something, know for sure that there is some uh, 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 repercussions that's coming for what you are doing. There are consequences for what you are doing. Let me tell it to you today. Sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. Temptation, and then you're getting trapped. Trapped. Now, he says when it conceived, it gives birth to what? To sin. What gives birth to sin? Temptation gives birth to sin when it conceives, when it gets to the practical thing. And then what happens to sin? It causes death. Now, somebody asked me once, they said, Is temptation sin? Is temptation sin? And the answer is no. Everybody gets tempted you will get tempted today you will get tempted this week so temptation is not sin it is when it conceives that it becomes sin it is how you deal with the temptation that he talks about here so you need to come to the point where it does not conceive you need to come to the point where it does not bear that sin the choice is yours what you do with temptation that temptation inside of you. It is said of John Wesley, when he was a young missionary, before he got saved, that he was sent to a place, uh, and I forget for a moment where it was, but it, it was in an Indian place, but he was sent there to preach the word as a missionary. And there was a governor there, an old man, the older, older, older man. And the governor had a young, beautiful wife. Which, you know, we can say, why did she marry him or not? But she went to this far distant country with the governor. When John Wesley arrived there, he worked with the governor. He was young and married. And he went oftentimes to the governor's house. This is true. This is in his biography. Before he started preaching. So he went there and she was lonely sometimes because the governor would go out. He's an older man. She's a young lady. But she was married to him. And it is so that Wesley fell in love with her and she had feelings for him. And he came to a point where they were talking and he said to her, he said to her, I'll give everything up. Why don't you and I run away and go and live with the Indians? And he was ready to do that. He was, he was, you see, this is what it's all about. It was the temptation inside of him. It was just sitting there waiting for him to be entrapped so that it can conceive and then it can bear sin, and sin brings forth death. And we wouldn't have had him preaching the gospel over the world. This was before that happened. And you know, it was that young lady who told him, she said to him, John, it will never work. I want you to get on the ship and to go back to England. And it is written in that biography that he came to the ship and she was standing there to say goodbye to him. Nothing happened between them. But at that point in time, for the first time, he writes it down, for the first time, he embraced her in a hug to say goodbye. And that, that, that enticement came to him, that, that uh, um, desire came to him. He, he said to her, I don't want to go onto the ship. And it's written that he went three times onto the plank to walk onto the ship and came back. And every single time she said to him, You need to go back to England. What a brave young lady. She said to him, You need to go back because you need to go and preach the gospel. We don't hear about her, do you? But you hear about John Wesley. You see, there was that desire, there was that, that longing for something which was forbidden, that lust was there. But you see, and that's what I say, it wasn't a sin to that point and if they've done, if they went further on, then that would have become a sin and it would have given birth to death. And we would not have had John Wesley preaching the gospel. You see, but friends, is everybody has a moral character? Every single person here. If you lift up your thumb, each one's thumbprint in this place is different. Each person in this place has got a different character than the person next to him. Doesn't matter how long you are married to your wife. Doesn't matter how long. You, it doesn't matter. You've got a different character. Character are influenced by external forces. It's influenced by that. You get some which you are born with. You, you pull after your mother or your father. But then with influence from the outside and how you work through those things as you grow up, your character is built. Each one in this place has got a different moral character. I mean, if you look at these images on the screen there, for some people will have problems and issues with these issues, with these images. Others will not. You see, some people will see stealing as not a problem. It's not an issue for some people. I walk into a supermarket and I see stuff and I haven't got the urge to take something and not pay for it, to go zoop and walk out with it. But yet, the person next to you walking to the same place might have a problem with that. They will walk up to something and they've got the urge to take that thing, to put it in and walk out and not pay for it. Each one has got a different moral character the same with drinking some people will say you know what I haven't got an issue with it I don't want to even touch it but for another person it's such a bigger a problem and an issue that they will become alcoholics and it will destroy their own their whole lives look the Bible is rife about writings about it even with smoking and gossiping you know some people in this place will not even in their whole lifetime get involved with gossiping Yet for somebody else, they've got an issue with that. We all have different moral characters. This is what James is coming on about. And you can go through the list here. You know, and, uh, uh, and faithfulness, fornication, uh, gossip. I like this one. I, I, I had to put it in here. He says, you, do, you don't repeat gossip, do you? And the guy sitting at the back says, no, he starts it. Some people have got issues with it and some not. And you know what? All of these things here, even gluttony and smoking, all of these things, is you've got yourself to blame. It is the flesh. It is the desires of the flesh. You can't blame anybody else. Nobody else. This is what James is all about. He says there that it brings forth death. You see, Paul works it backwards in another passage. This is James' writing. He says, But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Then when desire is conceived and it brings forth sin, and sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. Look at Paul now here in Ephesians chapter 2. He he takes it from backwards. Uh, James says it flows and then it brings forth death. Paul takes it from this side. This is the good news. He says, From death to life. But then he warns us about three things, three things that is against a child of God. Let's read it. He says, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You see? He made you alive who were dead. There James says that if you go through these temptations and it falls into sin, it brings forth death. He starts with death in trespasses and sins. You see that sin just before you die. There's three kinds of deaths here, by the way. The first death is a spiritual death. It's a spiritual death. There's a physical death as well. It comes. The fact that we're going to die physically is because of sin. And then there's a second death, separation from God. And here he talks about that, okay? And now he says, We were dead in trespasses in which you once walked according what? The course of this world. The course of the world. Who knows that the world is out there to entice you to engage in all of its pleasures? You just drive down here 50 kilometers into the city, and on the way there, you will see all of these advertisements around there, of the world, you'll see the flashing lights of the world. The world is enticing you. The world's against you as a child of God. Now, are we going to live on an island? Are we just going to sit on an island and go, you know, we are monks? No. Jesus said we're in the world, but not of the world. We're not of the world. You don't have to take part in every single thing the world does and throws at you. But the fact of the matter is, is the world will entice you. The world will pull you. That's the first thing. According to the prince of the power of the air, who's that? Who's the prince of the power of the air? Who's that? Satan. Did you know as a child of God that Satan is against you? Did you know that he's walking around, the Bible says, like a roaring lion, looking who he can destroy and devour? Who do you think that is? Do you think it is that guy who's conducting in the world who's who's an atheist, who's, who's a foul mouth. Do you think Satan's got a problem with him? He is destroying him. Let's face that. He's anti his end is death. He's anti his separation from God. Some of the people who who's conducting these things like drugs and all of these kind of things and living, living bad lives and all of that, you know what? They are going to feel the pain. No doubt about that. But he's not got an issue with them because they are on the road of self-destruction as it is. But, oh man, he's got a point to do with you as a child of God. One person said to me once, he said, as soon as I gave my heart to the Lord, it feels as if the whole world is against me. My family, everybody, I myself, As soon as I gave my heart to the Lord, the invitations I had to obscure things is amazing. The devil knows that. And he's out to destroy. So these are two things here that that kills you. The cause of this world, and then he says the power of the, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. There's only two kinds of people in the world. Sons of obedience and sons of disobedience. It ain't. You know, uh, 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 Indians or South Africans or Australians or no, no, there's only two kinds of people doesn't matter what your skin color is there's only two kinds of people it's disobedient or obedient doesn't matter where you come from and then he says among whom we also conducted ourselves in the what the last of the flesh there's three things that will bring death according to what James says here temptation comes through the course of the world the tempter himself will throw temptations at you and the lust of the flesh now let me ask the question when Jesus hung on the cross what did he take care of he took care of the world he took care of the world he had victory over the world secondly he took care of the prince of the power of air but then he gives you strength and help through the Holy Spirit for the lust of the flesh. You see, this is where it lies. This is what he talks about. Oh, I don't know why I did it. I did it because they said I should do it. Whose choice was it? It was your choice. Who was enticed? You were enticed. Who was tempted? You were tempted. And again I say, temptation is not the sin. The act is the sin. You can still deal with temptation and ask God to take the temptation away. So let's finish the chapter now. He says there in James 1, verse 19, So then, you see that? Whenever you come to these words, in, in other translations he says, Therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to ask the question, What for? And then you need to read before that. That's why I went back these verses so that you can understand what he says now this is now application of what he said before he says so then my beloved brethren let every man be swift to hear slow to speak slow to wrath for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God and oh man we can listen to this isn't it so true You know, sometimes I don't have to say any words more because it says it just like it is. He says, Every man be swift to hear. We don't want to, do we? No, no. We want to talk. We want to talk. We want to say it as it is, but we don't listen. We don't hear. And he says here, Be slow. Be slow to hear. uh, uh, Swift to hear. So quick to hear, but slow to speak. Slow to wrath. In uh, the book of Proverbs, chapter 10, verse 19, he says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. That is so true. You know, I sit sometimes around a table when we discuss uh, business, and sometimes if you just sit and you listen quickly and don't talk, you can hear when people talk stuff that they don't have a clue about. They bubble on and they bubble on and you go, what, do, what are you saying? What? You, you know, you make yourself foolish here. You sound like a fool, but you don't realize it yourself because you don't even listen to what you yourself are saying. And you formulate the answer before uh, the the question has been asked, asked. Proverbs 17, 27, He who has knowledge spares his words. A man of understanding... Is of a calm spirit. Oh, we can learn so many things of this, isn't it? But then he goes on to say, the second part, verse 20, says, For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There are so many people under the banner Christianity who's trying to fight a wrathful fight to bring God's righteousness. And you know, the only righteousness they do is they are defending their own agendas. Because our wrath is not, does not produce the righteousness of God. I know Jude says that we need to defend the faith. But how do we do it? By proclaiming the word. That's how we do it. Just keep on proclaiming the word. The wrath does not produce the righteousness of God. I saw a poster once which says, temper is such a valuable thing, it is a shame to lose it you know what we say don't push me too far otherwise i'm going to lose my temper don't lose it it's valuable keep it do not get involved with it and and here's the thing you know there's some people who who quite believe they're doing god's work and you know shouting to bring his righteousness Uh, kingdom now theology is doing that a lot to build his kingdom James chapter 1 verse 21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive the me- with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I love this passage. You know why? Because it talks about filthiness that you need to lay aside. That The idea here is like wax building up in your ear. Is that filthy? You go, Yak, why do you talk about that stuff in church? Well, that's the filthiness. That's the idea here. And now he says, "Lazy, lay it aside. What do you do when you, you, you get hard to hear? Aside from going to the doctor, you first check if there's wax build up there, isn't it? And what do you do with the wax? You take it out. And then you can hear better. He says now, take away the filthiness. Lay it aside. And the overflow of wickedness. Are we living in a wicked world? It's overflowing. Let me tell you that. But he's not addressing the world here, he's addressing you. He's addressing me. He says, you and I, it's our responsibility to lay these things aside. It's not a matter of saying, oh, you know what, the world did this to me. No, you did it to yourself. Listen, friend, if you didn't notice, I'm talking about the lust of the flesh here. Your choices. This is what James is talking about. And then, what is the opposite of laying aside? He says, receive with meekness. You know what the word meekness there means? Humble, humility, a teachable spirit. With that kind of attitude, the implanted word. The the word implanted there has got to do with, with gardening. What do you do if you plant something? What do you expect? You expect it to grow and you expect to get fruit. That's what it means here which is able to save your souls. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, he says this, but now you yourselves are put off all these. Now, when we say lay aside all filthiness, what is he talking about there? And the overflow of wickedness, we get an answer in Colossians. Colossians says, put yourself to put off. It's the same thing as lay aside anger. Oh, I'm so angry. Oh, if I can just pick up this phone and give him a piece of my mind. He says, put it aside. Why did you get so angry? I couldn't help it. It was them. No, no. It was you. It wasn't them. He says, put away anger. And what as, as well? Wrath. Wait a minute. Didn't we see earlier, James said, that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So put it off. Malice. Oh, we like this one, isn't it? We're going to get them. I will not wait until I get them. That's malice. It's that heart where it's coming from. He says it here, put it aside. And then he says, blasphemy. And then filthy language. No, it's not in the Bible. I can't believe it. It's right there. Filthy language. Filthy language. My grandpa said once, if you see a bee, know that within, I think it's something like five kilometers There is a beehive, or 25 kilometers. It's true, isn't it? A bee is not flying from here over to South Africa. No, no. It stays close to the beehive. And what is in the beehive? There is a buzzing, buzzing of lots of bees. So somebody who says a swear word just freaks out, oh, it's just one bee that you find, know that for sure somewhere in there is a beehive. He says, filthy language. He says, put it aside. Again, I couldn't help it just to say that. Excuse the word. No, no, there's no excuse for that. Lay it aside, he says. You see, I told you, James is going to make you mad. But once you get over your madness, he's going to make you glad. Yes? Filthy language. Out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Oh, goodness. Oh, no, he went there. Do not lie to one another. What about a white lie? Is a white lie a lie? Come on. (laughs) He says, do not lie to one another. Oh, he's so direct, isn't it? Since you have put off the old man with his deeds, everything comes back to what James says, and I've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him, who created him you see I can go on and talk about the knowledge where's the knowledge come from it comes from the word of God in fact if you open up in Ephesians chapter 1 there from verse 15 Paul actually tells them he says I pray for you whenever I think of you I pray for you that you get knowledge and wisdom that's what he prays for knowledge and wisdom Verse 22, he says now, this is our verse, he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away and immediately forget what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and he's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. This one will be blessed in what he does. You see, he goes back to what he said. With meekness get the implanted word. And I said that gives you the idea of gardening, of, of, of uh, you know, planting something. And here he goes, he says, if you continue in what? If you continue with meekness in the implanted word, what will happen? You will be blessed. You will be blessed. It's a blessing to be a child of God and stand in the Word of God. In the old times, there were a lot of teachers and they preached a lot of things and people listened. But they didn't want people to listen, they want people to follow them and do what the teacher does. That's called a disciple. Jesus wants disciples, they want listeners, disciples because a disciple walks in his ways a disciple do what he did a disciple react on what he says and this is so true look at this now here the mistakes of a not doer and, and I for the, for, for the lack of a better word I use what the Bible says there not a doer and not. what is the mistakes they do first of all they observe themselves. And the idea here of that observation is just to take a glance. Have you done that in the morning? Is that what you do when you get out of your bedroom and you walk through the, through the bathroom and the, the, the mirror is there? Is, is it like you walk, go and go, yep. No. No. You should be like a doer. You see, a doer, look. And the idea here again is the, to, to oversee it and to look more intense It is not just to glance, but you walk and you stop in front of the mirror and now intensely you look into the mirror. What do you see looking back at you? Yourself. Duh. Honestly, if you look into the mirror and you see another face looking at you, run. Run for the door. (laughs) And there's a spider leaving the place. Run for the door. Because you look intently into your own face and it's you who look back at yourself. And what do you look for? For imperfections. Isn't it right? Oh, somebody don't look for imperfections. They look at it and say, Oh, man, I like that guy. Oh, I love you. You're just a handsome chap. But you know what? You walk out of that room and somebody says, You've got something about your... It's just there. And you go... No, a little bit higher. What did you do? You, you were so focused on yourself that you couldn't see the imperfections. The word of God is true, isn't it? And this is the thing. Observe, in the second mistake he must, he goes away from the mirror. And you know what the doer does? He continues in it. He continues in it, and then when you go away, you forget, but the doer remember. Now I want to ask you the question here this morning, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, what is the perfect law of liberty? It's the Word of God. It's called the perfect law of liberty. You see, for some people, this becomes a law of chains, do and don'ts do and don'ts and i've seen that so many times and there's there's a lot of churches preaching law i still i preach law if you haven't noticed i do preach law but i preach the law of liberty there's a difference there you see this is what he's telling us he says as you are looking into your natural mirror we should look into the bible now here is the thing when i look into the bible is this reflecting back no it's not I don't see my face there, my bald-headed face. I don't see it there. But what do I see? I see in here the reflection of Jesus Christ. So when I look into the perfect law of God, I see in the perfect law my imperfections. That's what I see. And now through the Holy Spirit, He changes us into the image of His Son. How wonderful is that? How true is it this morning then? That we should not fall for temptation. Let's finish this morning. Because he's now telling us what it means to be a doer of the word. James 1 verse 26. If anyone among you think he is religious. Oh yes, we have these people. Oh I'm so religious. Oh I'm so good. Don't we have them? And we sometimes look at others and we say, oh he's a great Christian. Is the Bible talking about great Christians? but yet people do. And they, oh man, they worship other people. Oh, that man is such a big, great Christian. No, don't do that. Follow the perfect law of liberty, the word of God. He says, if any one of you think himself to be religious and he does not brittle his tongue, but deceive his own heart, this one's religion is useless. What do you do with useless stuff? you throw it away you're going to be very offended if I come to you and you've given away you know you've given all money to all of these missionaries and he's going there and oh you're the pious guy you're just this religious person and everything but you can't brittle your tongue and I walk up to you and say man everything you do is useless throw it away you're going to be very upset but that's what James says by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he says look at this You deceive your own heart. You're not deceiving people. People see right through you. You just don't know it. And then he finishes this morning with verse 7. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. Is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You see, friends, a real walk with God shows itself in simple, practical ways. Simple, practical ways. You don't have to stand up and try to know all the words. It helps the needy. It helps the people who need to be helped. And then it also... uh, It stays unsustained. Look at the word there, unspotted from the world. It stays unstained by the world through the word of God. Have we learned something this morning? Everybody's got a moral character in this place. It takes two to come together to conceive. Two. You know what? It is also so true that if it takes two and you with your inner man and who you are comes to the word of god what will it bring forth life it will bring forth life and you can then live this life which he talks about here about i like it pure and undefiled religion those are the opposites let us hold on to his word this week let's pray heavenly father we thank you this morning for your Word. We thank you that we can come to you and ask you for strength and guidance. We thank you, Lord, that the word that James written down is so direct, it's so pure. And we thank you, Lord, that we can come and and learn from that. And the Holy Spirit teaches us in this morning. Father, if your word, if it's the wrong word, Lord, your word is convicting through the Holy Spirit. I just pray, Lord, that everyone who's convicted today, Lord, open up with meekness. So that the implanted word can live in us and then can bring forth a blessing.